Our Lord, our God, we come before your throne of grace now. And we ask that you would see fit to move in a mighty way in our hearts this morning. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We ask, Lord, that the light of your word would shine in our hearts, that you might help us to behold you, the glorious one, the great one, and that as we behold you, Lord, you would bring about whatever work is necessary in us in order, God, that we might be conformed into the image of Christ. We lay ourselves at your feet. Speak, Lord. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. From time to time, uh, we hear of pastors falling into sin and thereby disqualifying themselves from ministry. Such news is disheartening. It feels like getting punched in the gut. Recently, we have learned about one well-known pastor who is divorcing his wife, and he has come out and has declared that he has rejected the Christian faith that he was raised to embrace. Once again, a punch in the gut. Such news is painful. It is sobering. And it serves as a reminder that we are not immune from failure. We must take heed lest we fall. We must walk as children of the light. And along these lines, we do well to understand what it means to walk as children of the light. How can we tell if we or someone we know is experiencing genuine fellowship with God? How can we tell if someone is walking as a child of the light? Our passage today helps us to answer this question. I want to ask you to turn, please, in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. We are entitling our message today, Walking as Children of the Light. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, we will make three observations regarding John's ministry that shed light on what it really means to have fellowship with God. Observation number one. John ministers out of the overflow of a big view of God. Okay, we see this in verse 5. The verse reads, and this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It is important for us to know that John conveys the message that the Lord Jesus himself proclaimed. At the beginning of this epistle, John alerts us to the fact that he, along with others, had seen Jesus with their own eyes. They had heard Jesus speak with their own ears. Uh, They had touched Jesus with their hands. Jesus literally came into this world and lived life as a human being. John's Christology, his 
study of Christ, his understanding of Christ includes the full humanity of Jesus along with the message that Jesus himself proclaimed. We know also that John's Christology includes Jesus being fully divine, fully God. This is clear to us when we reference John's gospel in chapter 1, where he proclaims that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The eternal Word is distinct from and the same as God. John goes on to say, so that it might be clear that he, the Word, was in the beginning with God. There is a distinction. And then, as you know, in verse 14 of John's Gospel, chapter 1, he tells us that the Word became flesh. God became a man, the second person of the triune God, entered this world of darkness. He became a man. And so John understands Jesus to be fully man and fully God. In order to more fully unpack what John says is the message we have heard from him, we do well to read through the entirety of John's gospel where he directs our attention to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. John, as you know, views himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and his attention is fixed on Christ, especially what Jesus declares about himself. Along these lines, John's gospel is unique in its inclusion of the seven famous I am statements. Jesus declares in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. You see the connection between light and life here. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and he shall find pasture. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. John fourteen six. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John fifteen five. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is the one of whom John, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, says, We saw him, we heard him, We touched him, and we are here as eyewitnesses to tell you what you need to know. But in John's epistle, while he directs us to who we need to know, he includes a declaration of why he wants us to know such things. We see this in 1 John 1, 3 through 4 now, where John proclaims that which We have seen and heard, we declare to you, and here it is, reason number one. Why are you making these declarations, John? Why do you declare this to us? Reason one, he says, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly, or indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, friends, there is no way that I can do justice to all that is going on here in this verse. Such a verse is overwhelming. It is both theologically and emotionally charged. It draws our attention to the relational nature of our triune God and how such a magnificent being draws sinners to himself and then so transforms such depraved wretches by his grace so that his love for them overflows in their desire to see others brought into such a fellowship. John wants for his readers to experience the blessing of joyful, intimate, fulfilling fellowship with the people of God as well as the triune God of such people. John goes on to give us a second reason that he proclaims what he has seen and heard. And he says it this way, reason number two, these things we write to you that our joy may be full. The ultimate experience of joy is marked by fellowship. Fellowship with the people of God as well as the God of those people. The sense we get from John is that his joy bubbles over when others are brought into the experience of genuine Christian fellowship. So John proceeds in his proclamation of truth because he wants his readers to experience genuine fellowship. He wants For his readers to be genuinely saved, sanctified, and growing in their experience of biblical fellowship. John ministers out of the overflow of a big view of God. He knows God and he is awestruck by his beauty and his majesty. John is overwhelmed by the light of God's glory and he is consumed with a desire to see others walking In such light. And in verse 5, John finds a word. He finds a word, a single word, that helps to capture his own experience and understanding of the most magnificent being in the universe the eternal, self existent, self sufficient ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfectly pure, just, loving, compassionate, merciful, sovereign, king, creator, and sustainer of the entire universe is brought to us by John in a single word, light. God is light. Light in the Bible is associated with God's glory. The glory of God is expressed in and through light, by light. And the glory of God is his holiness revealed. Holiness speaks of being set apart and it includes the sum total of all of God's attributes. When we talk of God's holiness, we refer to the reality of who he is. The glory of God is his holiness revealed. And God's glory is often associated with light. In telling us that God is light, John declares that the glory of God has been revealed. Light is also the source of life. And in describing God as light, John is communicating that God is life and he is the source of life. Nothing would or could exist apart from God. And he is the source of eternal life. Many theologians link John's thinking, his thoughts to the very first recorded words that God spoke. You remember in the book of Genesis chapter one, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then the voice of the living God thundered, let there be light. Imagine being present on that occasion when the darkness was overcome by the light. What a stark contrast. 
What a difference. Darkness fled from and was subdued by the light. John now tells us that God is light. Such a description is packed with significance that will require all of eternity for us to be wrapping our minds around. And as if John's description of God as light is not enough, he goes on to say that in him, in him, there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. No hint of darkness. He is perfect and pure in his being. There is no hint of darkness. He is morally beautiful and therefore worthy of glory, honor, and praise. And when we embrace the fact that God is light, it follows that the second person of the Trinity is light. God the Son is light. This is clear from John's gospel, which helps shed light on our understanding and appreciation of the declaration that God is light. Listen to John's gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 3, listen to what John says. Again, he's ministering out of the overflow of who God is. And we're going to the gospel because we can import some of what his understanding is into 1 John to try to understand from where is John coming? He's coming from a view of God that is exalted. In John 1, 3, all things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Again, the connection, the link between light and life. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. A few verses later, verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God, born by the Spirit of God, born again. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and full of truth. John ministers out of the overflow of a big view of God. He is writing not as a child in the faith, nor as a strong young man, but he is writing as a father in the faith who knows him who has been from the beginning. John is an example of one who walks as a child of the light. And so his description his description of God sets the stage for what John goes on to say. Let's turn to observation number two. Observation number two. John addresses heretical ideas and along the way provides a profile of those who have fellowship with God. He addresses heretical ideas and then along the way we can come up with a profile, if you will, of those who do have fellowship with God. Let us read the passage first. Verse 6, 1 John, chapter 1. I said it backwards. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But... 
If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Contained within these verses are three heretical ideas that John wants to address, that John wants to attack. They are as follows. Heresy number one. We see this in verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is the person who says he has fellowship with God, but walks in sin. He walks in darkness. This is the person whose conduct betrays his Christianity. He tells others he has fellowship with the Lord, but all the, all the while he is living in sin. He might acknowledge his sin, but dismisses himself from any accountability for his sin. There were some in John's day who distinguished between the soul and the body, the immaterial and the material, declaring that what one does with the body does not really matter. Such a person felt no conviction over the way he lived his life. John says this type of person is walking in darkness. He is not allowing the truth of God's word to light his path and direct his way. He fails to live under the lordship of Christ. What are some examples of this? What are the types of sin that indicate walking in darkness? Now, the list can be exhaustive. I'm not going to be able to cover everything, but here's a small sampling What are the types of sin that indicate walking in the darkness? Sexual sin. Any sex activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sexual sin. This includes, but it is not limited to, pornography, self-stimulation, and lustful thinking. Another type of sin identified with darkness is sinful anger. Jesus declares that the person who is angry toward another has committed murder in his heart. In 1 John 2, 9, we read that the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Our attitude towards other believers matters. Our attitude towards our wife and our children and our fellow brother and sister in Christ, our attitude matters. We cannot hold on to sinful anger. We cannot hate. If we do, we have no business saying that we have fellowship with God. God's word describes certain deeds of the flesh. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and he gives us a list. It's not exhaustive. He says they include immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Now, interesting, at the very end of 1 John, in his epistle, the last verse, he says, children, guard yourself from idols. An idol is anything that comes between us and the Lord himself. Any desire, any wish, it could be a person, it could be a thought, it could be anything that stands between us and the Lord. An idol is something that gets in the way of our passion for Christ himself. He says idolatry, continuing, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, 
drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. <laughs> That's a big list, right? Things like these. So there are others, he says, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, those who are given over to such vices, he says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God, i.e., they are walking in the domain of darkness. And so the list of sins that fall under the umbrella of walking in the darkness are many. And what does John conclude about those who say they have fellowship with God, but they walk in the darkness? That person lies and does not practice the truth. This begs the question, how are you doing? How are we doing? Are you telling others that you have fellowship with God and all the while you are walking in darkness? Are you professing faith while practicing sin? If you are, then God is shining his light upon you and telling you that you lie and do not practice the truth. Please be patient with me. We'll get to a good place, we'll get to an encouraging place, not to say that this is not a good place. It is a good place in the presence of Almighty God for our darkness to be exposed so that we might before God confess and get right with him. Well, let us consider heresy number two. Verse eight if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is the person who says he has no sin. Whereas the first heretical line of thought might acknowledge sin, this heresy denies present sin. There have been a number of times over the years when counseling, I have heard people say, I'm a good person. These are professing believers who insist on their goodness. I am not a sinner. I am not all that bad. I am a good person. I have heard spouse insist that their spouse thinks of them as a good person. But God's word begs to differ. And against the backdrop of God's blazing Glory, there is no man alive who is without sin. Isaiah the prophet, a holy man of God, when he saw the Lord in a vision, Isaiah chapter 6, what does he say? Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. The apostle Paul is an example. As he grew in his relationship to the Lord, he becomes increasingly aware of his own inner depravity. And so follow along with me. Early in his ministry, he says, I am the least of all of the apostles. Sometime later, he says, of all of the saints, I am the least. Then later, having walked with the Lord for decades, he proclaims that this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ died for sinners among whom I am chief. As he grows in his knowledge of who his great God is, his awareness of his own sin and depravity is exposed to such a point to where as he grows, he sees himself as a worse and worse and worse person. But that is not to say that he's discouraged because he clings to Christ and he is blown away at the wonder of the glory and the grace and the mercy of almighty God who would call him a sinner of sinners into a relationship with himself. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. And then the apostle John himself. You recall when in the book of Revelation, he, he, saw, he sees the Lord. And let John tell you in his own words, Revelation 1.10. You don't have to turn to just follow along. Revelation 1.10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. A little bit later, a few words later. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle and his head and his hair were white like white wool like snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters and in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength and when i saw him i fell at his feet as a dead man it is appropriate when confronted with the blazing glory of almighty god to feel oneself to be undone and to fall to the ground as though dead john's john responds the way he does because the light of the glory of god exposes his remaining darkness this is the same john who is telling us that if we say we have no sin we are deceived and the truth is not in us And so he collapses to the ground as a dead man. He finds himself in the presence of the second person of the Trinity and he feels himself to be undone. And there he is lifeless. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved, but here he feels himself to be unraveled. And now we read of the amazing grace of the Lord. John tells us what happens next. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is the point for us to embrace against the backdrop of the glory and majesty of Almighty God, the God who John declares is light, we can be left with no other conclusion than this. We are sinners. Jeremiah tells us that our righteous deeds are but filthy rags. Paul tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And here John tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are discovering that walking in the light is accompanied by a corresponding acknowledgement of one's sinful condition. Well, let us now consider heresy three. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The person who declares he has never sinned, this is what that person is, the one who declares that he has never sinned. This takes heresy number two a step further. This person is not just saying he has no current sin, but that he has never sinned. This is a self-exalting view. Such a person pushes the light of God out of the equation and concludes the very opposite of what God in his word teaches. John concludes that the one who says he has never sinned is calling God a liar and God's word is not in him. And so within the context of this passage, John goes after three heretical ideas and along the way we are able to come up with a profile And we'll move through this a little more quickly. A profile of those who have fellowship with God. Those who have fellowship with God. Number one, do not walk in the darkness. Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie, do not practice the truth. Implied here is that the person who is in fellowship with God does not walk in the darkness. John is talking about one's manner of life the habitual pattern of one's life, the overall way in which one lives his life. He does not walk in darkness. He lays aside such deeds of darkness 
And this takes us to profile point number two. Those who have fellowship with God, number two, walk in the light. He says in verse seven, but by way of contrast to those who walk in darkness, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. Having fellowship with God requires walking in the light. To walk in the light, we must embrace an exalted view of the glory and greatness of the triune God of the universe. We must see him as high and holy and lifted up. We must, like the fathers of the faith, come to know him as the one who has been from the beginning. He alone is king, creator, and sustainer of the universe. Our triune God is magnificent in his being. He is life and he is the source of life. All of creation depends upon God. And there is indeed a distinction between the creator and we, his creation. He is the light who shines into the darkness that we might have life, eternal life. And if we walk in the light, we will experience fellowship. Our fellowship is both vertical and horizontal. It must be. They go hand in glove. You cannot disconnect the one from the other. When we are drawn into the light of God's glory, we will experience fellowship with others who also walk in the light of God's glory. This is indeed what we were created for. To glorify God by reflecting his image in our relationships with one another. When we walk in the light, we experience fellowship. Such fellowship often exposes the depths of our depravity, but we can be encouraged by the fact that as we are being exposed and as we walk in the light being exposed, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That is a wonder. Walking in the light is the path of, and it is the way into holiness. It is a painful path at times, but a necessary path. Deepening relationships, transparent relationships, open, honest relationships do not come naturally. Like Adam and Eve after the fall, we run and we hide. We cover ourselves. We are afraid to be known. We fear fellowship. So we need the light. And as we walk in the light, we experience the fellowship that we were created for. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us, encourages us, and further empowers us so that we might continue to walk as children of the light. Let us consider now profile point number three. Those who have fellowship with God, three, are aware of their present sin. Verse eight says that if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. The person who is in fellowship with God would would not say, I have no sin. This is present tense, active voice, indicating that at no point in the present will a person who is experiencing fellowship with God declare, I have no sin. And this makes sense, especially when one evaluates himself against the backdrop of the God who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all. We will be aware of our depravity and remaining darkness to the degree that we know God truly. And if we know God truly, if we know God as he is, we will be aware of our sin. And such awareness, an awareness of the God who is light and an awareness of our own sin leads to profile point number four. Those who have fellowship with God will, number four, confess their sin to God. Verse nine says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous, just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. Confession of sin is a critical component of walking in the light. Confess is present tense, active voice. As we walk in the light, we are increasingly aware of our sin and responding to such awareness by confessing. We should not view confession as something we have to do, though we have to confess sin. We should view confession as something we get to do. God beckons us to come to him with our baggage and brokenness. We are invited to come into the light with our sin fully exposed by the light so that in the light we might be made whole. Is there any sin in your life that is preventing you from coming to the Lord? Do you feel afraid of the light? Like Adam and Eve after the fall, You're ashamed of your sinful nakedness. Are you running and hiding from the one that you need the most? And are you seeking to cover your shame through your own efforts? I encourage you today by faith to step into the light. Jesus declares, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He has told us that he came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous not for the healthy, but the sick. And he came to seek and to save the lost. Our sin, friends, as it turns out, is the very thing that qualifies us to come to the Savior. Listen to what John tells us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This takes us to profile point number five. Those who have fellowship with God experience forgiveness for their sin. Forgiveness for their sin. He says if we confess, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin. John encourages those who are aware of and confess their sins by telling them that God is faithful and righteous to forgive them for their sins. Earlier in verse 7, he references the blood of Jesus being the basis of our forgiveness. And here in verse 9, he refers to forgiveness and cleansing, something that is made possible only through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Do you see what is at stake here? If God refuses to forgive us when we acknowledge the light and confess our sin, then that would make him unfaithful and his righteousness would come into question. It is a matter of God's faithfulness to his word that he forgives us. We know that God is faithful. Therefore, if we confess our sins, we will experience forgiveness and fellowship. And it is a matter of his righteousness to forgive sins especially when such forgiveness was purchased for us by his son through his bloody death on the cross. What Christ did for us at Calvary is sufficient. He took upon himself the wrath, the full fury of almighty God, the punishment for sin that we deserve. Though he was without sin, The Bible tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And though he was without sin, he was punished for our sin and because of our sin. And God is a righteous judge who accepts the atoning sacrifice of his son, Jesus, and who forgives everyone who confesses their sin to him. If there is not something inside of you that wants to leap out and praise the Lord, then please check for a pulse. God is undeniably and unimaginably gracious and kind and merciful that all of the wrath of Almighty God would be poured out upon the innocent so that we can walk as children of the light. This is grace from God. His grace is lavish. We deserve judgment, but we get forgiveness But we are not only forgiven for the sins that we do confess, but listen on as we come to profile point six. Those who have fellowship with God, six, experience cleansing from all 
all, all unrighteousness. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John takes the matter of being forgiven for known sin and its effects a step further. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness. We are cleansed from the contamination and the corruption that sin brings into and through our lives. We are cleansed from the unknown effects of such sin and unrighteousness. And we are cleansed from the unknown sins and their effects on and through our lives as well. We are talking here about a thorough cleansing. But remember, for this to happen, we must walk in the light. To be in and walking in the light is a scary and a safe place to be. It is scary because it reveals to us the darkness that remains. We often run and hide and cover up, but we must allow the darkness to be exposed, confess such darkness, and find comfort in the fact that God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At the end of the day, walking in such light is the safest place to be. And it is from this safe place that we can acknowledge our sin, our brokenness, our pain, our fear. We can face up to the fact that we are weak, ignorant, and have failed. We no longer pretend that all is well with ourselves. As we walk in the light, we will experience forgiveness and cleansing. And herein, we have hope that serves as an anchor to our soul. And this takes us to profile point seven. Those who have fellowship with God are aware of their past sin. Verse 10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, his word is not in us. Those who enjoy fellowship with God do not say, I have not sinned. Amazingly, some folks insist that they are without sin. They review the video of their life and they conclude that they have never done anything wrong. They have never broken any of God's commands. They are saying that they are and have always been good people. They fail to understand that God is light and that his standard of moral perfection is impossible to attain. But those who walk in the light know that they have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And even though they have confessed their sin and are fully forgiven and cleansed, they remain aware of sin that they have committed. This is not to say that they dwell on their sin. They understand that there is no condemnation for those in Christ. No, they don't dwell on their sin in a negative way. Their hearts and minds are fixed on Christ. But with their focus on Christ, they are aware of their moral failure. And they are amazed at the wonder of the grace of God. And I submit to you that such an awareness serves one well in ministry to others. I believe that herein lies some of my best counseling by the grace of God. By God's grace, I have helped others when counseling out of the overflow of my own past failures. And I have been able to offer up encouragement to people that have struggled in one way or the other because I am able to identify with such struggles. And by the grace of God, I have been able to grow in some areas of my life. I'm not saying that I am without sin, but what I am saying is that by the grace of God, there has been measures of growth along the way. And we are able to minister out of our own brokenness and out of our own past failures to be a source of encouragement to others. And walking in the light empowers us to minister in this type of way. So we have made two observations regarding John's ministry that shed light on what it means to walk in the light. Observation one, John ministers out of the overflow of a big view of God. Likewise, when we walk in the light, we are enabled to minister 
out of the overflow of a big God with whom we enjoy fellowship. Observation two, John addresses heretical ideas and along the way, he provides a profile of those who have fellowship with God. We have addressed the heresies and have uh, profiled those. We have a profile of those who have fellowship with God. And let's be brief here, but moving on to observation three. Don't want to end quite yet. Give me a few more moments. Observation three. John provides gospel encouragement for believers who are aware of particular sins in their lives and who feel overwhelmed by the depth of their own depravity. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. He begins here by saying, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, blessed thought, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. John's use of the expression, my little children, is affirming. It affirms God's love, as well as John's love, God's love through John for his readers, as well as the legitimacy of their faith. Then John presents a reason for writing. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin or you may not sin. This is not an argument for sinless perfection, but clearly it is a call to holy living among the people of God. Those who walk as children of light will walk in a holy manner before Almighty God. The Bible says you shall be holy because I am holy. And so God calls us to imitate him as we live out our lives in a holy manner, set apart manner before him. Remember that Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world. Now, wonder of wonders, we are the light of the world. We are called to reflect his glory as we live life in this fallen, dark world. John is telling us, he is calling us to walk as children of the light. Yet John knows that there may be some who feel the sting of sin in their lives. John knows that for some, there may be a particular sin that is dogging their steps. And John knows there are some who may need to hear the gospel afresh. Note what John declares about Jesus Christ. He is our advocate with the Father. The word actually speaks of our advocate toward the Father, the picture of Jesus facing the Father. And as he faces the Father, every accusation that might come up against us, Jesus is there to say, I died for him. I died for him. God's declaration upon us is that we are justified. There is no condemnation. We have an advocate. It is Jesus who pleads our case before God the Father. And we have nothing to fear. Perfect love cast out all fear. We have a God who loves us infinitely. And in Christ, we have an advocate who pleads our case. He is not just our advocate, but John describes him as righteous. It's a reminder of the fact that he is the one who is righteous. And he lived a righteous life and offered himself as a sacrifice. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We get his riches, our rags for his riches. You are clothed if you believe in Christ and if you are walking in the light, if you are children of the Most High God, if you have repented of your sin, believed in Jesus, you are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He looks down upon you and he sees you as if you have never sinned, as if you have lived a perfect life, just like Christ himself did, clothed in the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And John says he is the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation carries the idea of appeasement or satisfaction. In other words, God's demand that sin be punished 
fell upon Jesus. And in the process, wrath has been appeased and turned away from us. God, because of Christ and for Christ's sake, he cannot pour wrath upon us who have fled to the Savior for refuge. It is impossible for God to do that. The anger of God, the wrath of God, which should have been poured out upon us because of our sin, instead poured out upon Christ. He propitiated the wrath of God. And so we come before him as his children without stain or spot or wrinkle because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And yet simultaneously, at the same time, we are still sinners. It's not either or, it's both and. We're sinners, we're saints. Separated ones, called out for God's holy purposes. John's gospel encouragement is designed to get his readers out of any sinful rut and walking as children of the light. Today, we have made three observations regarding John's ministry that shed light on what it means to have fellowship with God and thus walk as children of the light. It involves having a magnified view of God and living life accordingly. It includes, because we have such a a high and exalted view of God, rejecting any heretical notion that opens the door for compromise with sin. Walking in the light means that we are increasingly aware of our sin. As we walk in the light, we confess our sin and we experience God's forgiveness And his cleansing. We know that sin is serious. And we are grieved by the sin. That we see in our lives. But we also know that the one who ascended into heaven. And sits at the father's right hand. Is our advocate. And he has made propitiation for our sins. Through his blood we are cleansed. The writer of Hebrews declares. That Jesus is. A great high priest. We are invited by our great high priest to approach his throne with boldness in order to receive mercy and to find grace for help in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, this is what we as believers do. And this is what it means to walk as children of the light. Would you pray with me, please? As the ushers come forward, that we might give to the Lord our offerings to return back to him a portion of what he, you, God, have given to us. And as the worship team comes to lead us in a final song of praise to you, Lord, we are reminded afresh that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Lord God, we pray that you would continue to enable and empower and encourage us to walk as children of light. Let us behold you and your beauty and let us feel the sense of being overwhelmed by your greatness and let us see ourselves more clearly. Would you let your light shine in the dark places of our heart, O God? And Lord, would you strengthen us with power by your spirit in our inner man? Would you, would you take our hand and lead us along a path of a deeper conviction of sin, a deeper repentance, Lord? We will flee into the darkness if you don't take us by the hand and bring us to yourself, Lord. Bring us to you. Let us behold the light. Let us be blown away by your glory. Let our hearts be filled with praise. Let us fear. Let us tremble in your presence, Lord. But let us find that in you we find, discover that in you we find a safe place. You are our refuge. You are our Savior. You have made propitiation for our sin. You suffered, bled, and died in our place. 
and you were raised up bodily from the dead. You ascended onto the right hand of the Father, and there you are as our advocate. All glory, all praise to you alone, O God. To you alone. May your name be exalted. You are not just our Savior, but you are the Savior of the world. And so let us bring this message to a lost and dying world. And as we walk as children of the light, let us make Christ known. Let us overflow with the joy of making Christ known. Lord, bring revival into this nation. Bring an awakening across this land, O God. Let the gospel be proclaimed and let lost and dying people accept and embrace Jesus. We pray that you would receive our offering and do much with it for the glory of God, for the advancement of your kingdom, for the proclamation of the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.